We are live. It's me, Joseph Potter, back with the Mac Daddy here, Chris Ransom. Chris, Draft Utopia podcast right here. I'm the founding father of Draft Utopia. I'm not the Mac Daddy of a Draft Twitter. Maybe I'm selling myself short there, but that's Joseph yeah. Potter. I appreciate the intro. And we're getting ready for the NFL Combine. It's The drills are going to start in less than 24 hours. 20 hours and 55 minutes to be precise at 3 p.m. tomorrow. Um, yeah, 6.05 Eastern on the East Coast up in Pittsburgh. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of drills and shuffling. Defensive linemen and linebackers usually work out on Sundays. They're working out on Thursday this year. The defensive backs, which traditionally have worked out on Mondays, are working out on Friday. The quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends, last few years, been the first position to work out. Instead of working out on Friday, they're working out on Saturday. And then the tight ends, the old line running backs, Saturday, now move back to Sunday. So... Everybody who watches fantasy football will get to see their favorite offensive players on the weekend. But if you're scouting defensive players and you're a teacher in school, you might have to put on the combine after class or you might have to get to the nearest television if you're, if you're working in a school until like 3 or 3.30. You might have to get to the nearest television if one's on you. If your classes end at 2, you're in business. You, you got enough time to get home through traffic to the combine. But, you know, what do you think of all these changes? I, I personally don't like them, but I have to put I have to adapt and just deal with it. I'm annoyed. If I was still doing what you're doing, you know, if I stopped doing that a few years back, I would be rather upset about it, but... Even now, I'm still rather annoyed by it because I'm sitting here, this is my day off, and I'm like, where's all this data that I usually look up? How how do I prepare? And there's no way to prepare. Because I was looking forward to talking about this today. Because the weigh-ins are usually two days before. That's the other thing, Joey. Yeah. The weigh-ins are usually yeah. two days before the on-the-field drills. The bench press is usually a day before. Now the bench press is going to be a day after. So the defensive line bench press is are going to be tomorrow. And we're going to get defensive back bench press reps on Saturday. So not only will we have weigh-ins for the skill positions on Saturday morning, we will also have weigh-ins for... We also have bench press reps for the defensive back. So it's really confusing how everything's being moved around. Yeah, I was ready to get get this party started with all these stats and knowing what all these people are doing. And now I'm sitting here like, okay, now I feel behind. I'm not behind Obviously, because I mean, everybody's behind at the same time. I feel behind. The only weigh-ins I have up on Draft Utopia are the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl weigh-ins. So players who participated in the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl 
The, and, and for the Shrine Bull weigh-ins, they only have the height and weight. They don't have the arm length or the hand size, so I've had to Google that and do more research, and I'll edit or tweak that if that evaluation is wrong when the official weigh-ins are posted tomorrow morning. So... It's really annoying. Because fans could interview NFL players before the combine, like before... Before the workouts, fans could interview players. Now fans have to wait until after the player works out, at, after the player runs his 40 to interview the player they want to interview. So if they're networking and they, they get a player to do a player interview, that it's going to be on a Friday. So if you want to interview Will Anderson, it's going to be on a Friday if you're a fan. If you're an NFL team, you have that extra day to interview the player. So fans, on the other hand are getting sh short-handed end of this deal. And I don't like that, personally, but what can you do? It's, I mean, DeMory Smith said he would do away with the combine or boycott it and just have the scouts go to pro day workouts. Oh, that's that, that, that Well, that's what he wanted to do. Like, he wants, if, if DeMory Smith becomes commissioner, he's going to try to get rid of the combine. I think and, he is the successor to Goodell. That's the thing, because, because that is a horrible thing because, oh, guess what, per days, they are perfectly laid out to work to the strength of the player. The combine is perfectly laid out to deal with everything. The all-star games and reveal more intangibles more than the combine. And when I say that, I mean the one-on-one -on -one workouts from the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl. And Belichick had players run the gauntlet at the Shrine Bowl when I was in Las Vegas. So the Patriots have already done some early screening on players that may not have gotten invites to the Combine by having them do the gauntlet drill. And that's cool. I am all good on that. I'm all good on the... Uh game style things like, you know, like C-Bowl, you know, the NFL Bowl, all those things. I'm 100 okay with that. I love that. But if you're going to get rid of the combine, you're going to have to replace it with something. You cannot just say, well, we're getting rid of the combine, and we're just going to let the pro days take over. If you do that, you have to pretty much put in a, a senior all-star game that essentially replaces the senior bowl, where it's the yeah. underclassmen, the guys who know they're going to go in the top five and the top ten of the draft, they are playing in that all-star game, essentially. Like, yeah. a, a senior all-star game with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. That is essentially... We'll get to Jalen Carter in a second, because that was our lead topic. But that's essentially what would have to take place if you were to do away with the combine. Yes, because, let's face it, birthdays are structured to make the players that are the stars look like stars. That's why I don't put stock in him because they are tailor-made for the player. Like, if a player like Will Levis is a perfect example. I've seen Will Levis make one to two reads at most, then take off at run. If you know all Will Levis can do is make two reads, 
How is he going to improve on that? The pro day workouts, it's just a QB throws to a receiver, one receiver that gets open, and the workouts are scripted. The quarterback does not have to go one, two, or process information. Yeah, the coaches will send like brooms at the QB to showcase the QB's agility, but it's all rehearsed ahead of time like a movie script. It, it, it is, and that's why I don't put as much uh, hope in the pro days. Every now and then we'll get pro days where we will think, just like you said, but then the coach will send out something completely different. He will send out like three different receivers. He will send out all these different things. And in those times, you and I have both been like, damn. He, he impressed. And March 22nd to 24th, you're going to have Bryce Young, Will Levis, and C.J. Stroud's pro days in consecutive days. And it says, Bryce Young will not be throwing, I believe. So I know we're jumping ahead here. I know. I wasn't sure if you wanted to lead off with Jalen Carter or Bryce Young um, because they're both big storylines. I think those are the two biggest. you, You just let in perfectly, so... We'll just go with it. And since Bryce Young won't throw at the combine, this tells me this is all up to his coaching staff, whether he will be in the number one spot in the draft or he won't be. Because he is in a really bad position right now. And that's when he did climb to throw combine, there's a good chance that it's going to come down to Nick Saban saying, can we get the running back there? Can we get two or three receivers there? What can we get here? Because if we don't get it done... Bryce ain't going to do it. Bryce is not going to be able to get it done. And I think that's huge. Uh, what was it we said? We were talking about the other day. Here on the podcast, I'll talk to you. We were talking about how acing the process, how players were not considered number one, people like Baker Mayfield, and Ty- Tyler Murray, not sure number one, aced the freaking process about taking number one overall. This tells me he's not going to ace the freaking process. So how can we consider him number one overall? I think he has the best the overall film of any quarterback in this draft. I think Bryce Young has the most composure and the most wow factor on his throws. At the same token, it's by the slimmest of margins over C.J. Stroud. It's yeah, not and, by a yeah. wide margin or a massive margin. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not talking about Andrew Luck here. We're, we're it is a much slimmer margin, as you said. So acing the process, CJ Stroud throws. Yes, he's more likely. To Athlete be- speakers represents Bryce yeah. Young. C.J. Stroud's agent is the same agent, David Mulugeta. He represents, um, he represents 
Justin Fields. He has so CJ Stroud went with the same agent currently representing Justin Fields. Anthony Richardson currently is with Champ Sports. Um, that's an agency, Champ Sports. A lot of these agencies I haven't even I've never even heard of. And CAA Creative Artists Agency has signed Will Levis. And CAA, I believe CAA is the agency that had a creative artist agency. I think Carson Wentz signed with the... I don't remember, but CAA is the agency Will Levis is um, signed with. CAA, I believe they're a pretty... I believe they're a pretty big agency, see, creative arts agency, like um, art, creative artists agency. They're a talent sports agency in L.A. Um, I that's who Will Levis is being represented by. I just, I just wish we had more information about their current, um, their more notable names. Um, wow! So Brendan Fraser just signed with CAA yesterday too. So now. Will Levis has the same agency as Brendan Frazier, the Kentucky quarterback, and he needs to capitalize on Bryce Young not throwing at the Combine because that's really his only shot to move up the board. I think we look at the film that Richardson and Stroud and Bryce Young are all better than Will Levis. I know Will Levis beat Anthony Richardson head-to-head -head in that game, but at the same token... And he beat Florida twice. I'm not trying to knock the guy. It's just, you look at what Richardson did against Tennessee. Signature game. Stands out on tape in a big way. Um, you could argue that stands out more than um, what Stroud did against Notre Dame in a win, where he just managed the game after um, after Jackson Smith Najigba got injured. So, what does that say? What does that say about this situation because I still think Bryce Young will be the first quarterback drafted. But I think Bryce it's going to be a lot more interesting to see how this plays out now. Yeah, C.J. Stroud, and I would say this to you, like, you know, in my mind, C.J. Stroud has been the greatest quarterback of the year. He's like, got a tremendous throw without his help. He rebounded a incredibly strong with his help. But he also showed incredible resilience. So, is he the guy that didn't have any help and floundered? Is he the guy that had the overall receivers and was amazing with those receivers? Or is he the guy that I feel down and out and, and just power through. So what is he? I feel like Bryce Young did more with less, and here's what I mean. Bryce Young lost multiple offensive tackles, he lost multiple wide receivers, and he still delivered. Stroud had Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, along with some other receivers. Um two first round picks in twenty twenty four. There's Ikua and then there's um Marvin Harrison Jr. And Cade Stover, the Ohio State tight end, coming back to Ohio State next year. So Ohio State could potentially have three 
the, the top two of the top three receivers and potentially the number one tight end in 2024. I think uh, I think Cade Stover could be the second tight end after Brock Bowers next year. But the point is, Stroud had a really good supporting cast. So is he a product of that, or is he legitimately the top quarterback? Because you look at what he did against Georgia, you're convinced he's the guy. You are. Well, you're convinced he's QB1. If you just look at what Stroud did against Georgia in that college football playoff loss, you're convinced he's QB1. Yeah, it's like, and that was extremely impressive. It's the entirety of all that I'm worried about because the entirety is all over the place. And I don't like all over the place as a uh, scout. Bryce Young lost two games, but he's, his offense scored 31 and 49 points in those games he lost this year. And so it, it all comes up in shape. Uh, and I'm, I love Bryce Young. Uh, whereas CJ Spell, I'm. A little weird off. At, at the same time, I don't think either one of our really bad if they if you take them number one or two or put the pressure on the I don't think either one of them do that. I don't think either one of them do that at all. But it Young has the. I've seen Young make the most deep throws and the most, and I think he has the most composure of any quarterback in this draft. That being said, um, yeah, and Demeco Ryan's praised him. And here's the thing, which QB is our team's going to fall in love with? That's really the question because I, I Ken LeBlanc compared Bryce Young to Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't look for that specifically in a quarterback, but if you're an NFL GM and you have a scout, your Southeast scout compares Bryce Young to Aaron Rodgers and your Midwest scout compares C.J. Stroud to Andrew Luck, that's who Damian Parson, the Draft Network, compared Stroud to. If you have a Midwest scout comparing Stroud to Luck 
and you have a Southeast scout comparing Bryce Young to Aaron Rodgers, you have a really tough decision at number one if you trade up with Chicago and you need a quarterback. You have a really tough decision because you're not sure which scout to trust in that situation. And that's why the comment is so important because the general manager will get to see him close to him. And if you are not there to see that general manager is supposed to be in, what you're working with, you may lose out. You may stroud, may end up a general manager was thinking, you know, someone else before, now Stroud will lose me away. I mean, Bryce Young's the only quarterback on this group that's won the Heisman. But he won the Heisman in 2021 as a freshman, as a sophomore, not in his draft year. Second, you look at with Bryce Young, Bryce Young had, even in Alabama's losses, he played well. And even though I think he's the best quarterback in terms of composure and arm talent, accuracy, decision-making, he does have his drawbacks. From a, from a size standpoint, I would give Stroud an advantage over him. Stroud is six, Stroud's expected to be around 6'2", 6'3", 220. Bryce Young could be 5'10", 190. He might not even be 190, 6'0", 194 like he's being listed. And he might be just as brittle as Tua Tagovailoa, his predecessor. So that's the other, that's the concern I have, is the durability. How is he going to check out medically? Yeah, I, I agree. The uh, medicals are an issue. Bryce Young, you can make an argument he's got the best tape. You can make an argument that Young's tape is slightly better than uh, Stroud's. At the same token... How is he going to test medically? Is that going to hurt him in the eyes of NFL teams? Is that going to hurt well, his perception? I, well, I will say Young's tape is much better than Strauss. I, I've been saying that since the beginning. I'm not going to back on that. Same but here. The situation dictates that Stroud is not Young is not taking the processes seriously. And if he does not medically clear, then I don't think there is any chance he goes number one. If he is not the 100% medical, you know, specimen. And that is that's unfortunate because and is something that you have to take into consideration. Acing the process. Going to the combine when it's a close competition for the number one overall pick and acing the combine, which is something that you're not going to have a second chance at. You can mess up the combine go to the pro day, but you're not going to get a second chance because the pro days are not going to trump the combine. But the same thing, if you don't go to the combine, if you make a slip up during the 
You're done. If Bryce Young slips up at his pro day, he will not be QB1. Stroud will be QB1. Stroud will be QB1, and that'll be that. Now, if Richardson has a dominant combine, if Richardson has a dominant combine, any good pro day, I think he could jump Young as QB2. Now, in order for Will Levis to jump Bryce Young, he would have to dominate the combine and the pro day, and Bryce Young would have to have a shitty pro day. I think though that would that's too much to ask for at this point in the process. But I'm not ruling it out either. I think it's too much to ask for right now. But it's I would say it's a ten percent probability, maybe higher. But well, you would also have to have God come down and bless him in front of everybody on the planet. Um. You know, it's like, uh, and I mean, I don't mean just come down and slow down. I mean, playing certain chariot and all that shit. And he's gonna have to come down all the way down. And you know, put Levis on that freaking you know, scale of godhood. Like the dude's just not. <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm Maybe rambling a little bit there, but yeah, you you get my point on that one. It's 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 going to take more. I think. I mean, anybody. I think it was going to take Richardson, Young, Brown, everybody else to bomb, and him to have a really good birthday. And ace the combine just getting the number three spot. Just getting the number three spot. So I, I'm not sure how you can go back on that. Yeah, if it's weird. Yeah, because a lot of the QBs that didn't win the Heisman in their draft year did not end up being the first QB pick. Lamar Jackson, he did win the Heisman, but he did it the year before his draft year, and he slipped all the way to 32. Now, I don't think Bryce Young is going to slip that far. At the same token, I think there is an outside shot he could get jumped. I don't trust what I see with Levis yet, but if he has a good combine and a good pro day, he has a chance to move up. He has a chance to move up, but I don't think he has a chance to move up. To um, I forget who it was that they had him as the number. Tyler Fornis mocked it, mocked him at four to the Colts, and but he Fornis has Tyler Fornis is one of the people that follows me on Twitter. He has Stroud to the Texans at two, Will Levis the Colts at four, Bryce Young to Seattle at five, and Anthony Richardson to Carolina at nine. With young learning under Geno Smith, which, frankly, I could actually see that happening. If Bryce Young fell to five, I could actually yeah. see Seattle taking Young and grooming him yeah, under Geno. Yeah, I, I could see everything happening there except for Levis. I, I just don't see him, Levis. I don't either. I don't either. I have him graded lower than Trubisky and Paxton Lynch, okay? And I see a one to two read QB in terms of the progression, scanning the field. I don't see a guy that can take over the game. He reminds me a lot of Derek Anderson. 
does remind me a lot of Derek Anderson. We, I think that, Wes Langley and myself both had a fifth-round grade on him prior to the 2022 draft. Yeah, we had a fifth-round grade on Levis prior to 2022. So when he decided to come back to school in May, Tony Mario had a third-round grade on him, which is where I felt he belonged. And he really didn't do much to convince me he warranted that grade. And he was the Senior Bowl's top QB this entire time, and he chose not to go to Mobile. So what does that tell you? I don't think he's the guy. I don't think Will Lev I think Levis is going to bust. And I think everyone, the fact that everyone in our staff, Oren, Wes, the fact that everyone on our staff agrees with that assessment, that says volumes. Like, that's... The fact that Brian, Lisa, Tanya, Wes, our entire staff thinks he's going to bust, that says a lot. I mean, Thomas Coburn says he's going to bust. Ken says he's going to bust. Tracy Porter. I don't think I've spoke. I think the most positive thing anyone said about Will Levis is he could be a he could be decent with a good supporting cast. That's what Mark Suba said. That's the most objective so, thing I've heard so anyone he's say about off. Levis. Yeah. So he's this yes, essentially, that's the most positive thing I've heard anyone say. But Mark Suba's like the one guy in 12 Angry Men trying to convince the rest of the jury that Levis is not a bust. And the other, everyone else has seems everyone else is like shying away from Levis. But then you got Mark, like the protagonist in 12 Angry Men, trying to convince us he is a, he's going to be a successful quarterback. I love it. Because... Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I will say that. I'm not saying Levis can't do it, but he's going to have to jump through a lot of hoops to do it. Yes, exactly. And I would say I, I mocked him at 29 in New Orleans because of their cap situation, but if the Saints get Carr, we're looking at him potentially slipping into the second round with a bad combine since he turned down the Senior Bowl. Now, if he has a good combine, on the other hand, he probably retains his first-round status. Maybe goes higher than where we're projecting him. But again, I, I honestly—that that is a very hopeful thought process. I would think the Raiders would be and may, because Matt Will Levis couldn't beat Ole Miss without Matt Corral. So if I'm the Panthers and Levis is the only guy on the board, and the other three QBs are gone. I would rather build around Corral to be honest, because Corral beat Levis head to head. I can't say that about Levis. He could not beat Ole Miss head-to-head without Corral. So that tells me a lot. Yeah, Le- Levis is the ultimate who is the guy that has most help. I can't hear you, Joey. Are you there? Are you there, Joey? Uh, You're right. Now I can hear you. I'm I'm here. Um, I I took out one of my earbuds. Maybe it's helped. But I did say, yeah, he does have issues. And I don't think that he is going to be the answer for anything. 
I have him graded lower than Trubisky and Paxton Lynch. You can, and you had a second round grade on Trubisky. And in your defense, you were right. But Trubisky's defense, he at least threw for 3,500 yards his only year as a starter at North Carolina. Whereas Levis never eclipsed 3,500 yards in his two years as a starter at Kentucky after losing the quarterback job to Sean Clifford at Penn State. That's what led Levis to transfer to Kentucky. So he couldn't even win the starting QB job at Penn State for that matter. So, no, it's like, it's, do we want to talk about the guy who beat him out? I don't even think Sean Clifford is uh, in this draft. I mean, he is a graduate, but he didn't even get a combine invite. The guy who beat out Levis for the quarterback job at Penn State didn't even get a combine invite, Sean Clifford. <laughs> Not a combine snub, by the way. I think the guy studying under him, Drew Aller, is going to tear it up next year for the Nittany Lions, and that's coming from an Ohio State fan. But, yeah. Um... That should tell you a lot with Levis. I mean, he couldn't even beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State. Which, I, I mean, and I think Kentucky might actually be better at quarterback in the fall. Devin Leary, the North Carolina State quarterback, transferred to Kentucky. He's taking over for Will Levis this fall. So I actually, as crazy as this is going to sound, Joey... I'm actually going to make a bold prediction and say Devin Leary will do better at Kentucky than Will Levis did this season. As crazy as that's going to sound, that is my bold prediction. Not only will Levis bust, but I actually think at this point next year, Devin Leary will actually have done better at Kentucky than Levis. But he won't get drafted as high because he's in a much tougher, stronger quarterback class. So... What do you think about that prediction before we get to Jalen Carter? Because we've kept the Jalen Carter news on hold for like 30 minutes. We should probably talk about that. I think it's just going to be yeah, a misdemeanor. We, we have come across a lot of things here, but Jalen Carter may be the most interesting because we, we were talking about this off-air twice today. And it turns out Jalen Carter's problems were a misdemeanor as far as what he's charged with. But at the same token, it was street racing and caught somebody was gone. Yeah, and it's street it's racing is a three month race. sentence in Georgia. So I think if he's it's a mis it's gonna end up being a misdemeanor and he won't end up serving any jail time. I still think Carter's going to go top five, but I don't know if he's going to go number one now. I still think he goes top five. According to, I think it was Aditi, she said two misdemeanors. Aditi, well, I won't quote that, but I think it was her, because I was listening to a few different things, and I think she was one that said it was two misdemeanors. Because I know she said something about it. I know she broke the news to a few asshole people about Carter. So I, so she may have been the one that broke the misdemeanors. Uh, it may have been Jake Trotter as well. But I know I listened to Jake Trotter. Jake Trotter was uh, another one that was 
right on top of the situation. Uh, so, whoever it was, you know, give huge thoughts to Aditi and Slaughter about, you know, being on top of the situation when they Yeah, um, are you still there, Joey? I'm gonna, tr yeah, okay, I, I, okay. I, I just went through a full monologue. Yeah, it was great. I, I heard everything you said about how Jalen Carter, um, I think he's only gonna get a misdemeanor because I read the report. And I, I, I'm thinking to myself, he'll either get a misdemeanor or he'll get community service. And even though street racing in Georgia... Do you think he'll be taking that from two misdemeanors, one misdemeanor? Well, street racing carries a three-month sentence in the state of Georgia. So even if he were convicted, he'd only have to serve three months. Now... And, and there's always the... Uh, or yeah, and he might get like 12 hours, he might just get 100 hours of community service. That's what's also being speculated, that he might just get a slap on the wrist and have to do like 100 hours of community service. Well, yeah, and that all just depends on a plea deal, and that all depends on his lawyer, so that's all, that's all legal process. Um, but yeah, I could see, I was thinking the same thing, that you work 100 hours, you give it 100 hours, it's like, you know, it's like three weeks for me at work, I'd say 100, I would, if I was a judge, I would be like, fuck you, 120 hours, you have to spend three weeks working at Walmart. That's, that's your and I'm sure he would walk out of there crying and saying, I am so happy about the career path I chose. Yeah. And I, I don't think this is going to affect his stock. I still think he's going to go in the top five, but I think the top five has pretty much been decided. Unless yeah. Bryce Young is a horrible pro day, I think the top five is going to remain Will Anderson, Bryce Young, Jalen Carter, C.J. Stroud, and Tyree Wilson because there are some people at NFL Network that think Tyree Wilson could go ahead of Will Anderson. At, and but Walter Football's even speculating the possibility that this happens because I got a text from Jason Fanel today that said Tyree Wilson, not Will Anderson, is the number one edge rusher in some uh, mock drafts. So, Tyrese Wilson, uh, I'm looking at a couple of those safeties and saying, dude, somebody from criminal background versus an all-around amazing safety? Because Tyree Wilson, I, I think he's more versatile than Miles Murphy, but when I see Will Anderson and Miles Murphy, I get that wow factor from watching them rush the quarterback. I don't get that from... Tyree Wilson, although I think he's a better run stuffer and better at dropping in coverage than Miles Murphy is at the moment. Well, it, here, here's my thought. It's like, I'm, I'm saying it now. Watch it when the rules go. 
that Notre Dame safety, I mean, if he could get a shoot up the charts, he could. There's three safeties that you can make a case for as the number one safety. Brian Branch out of Alabama, Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M, and Brandon Joseph. I gave Brandon Joseph an A-plus in zone coverage at the beginning of the year. And he actually liked one of my tweets when I post his film cut against Ohio State in his first game from the Northwestern to Notre Dame. So I, I think any of those three could be the first off the board. It depends on what happens at the Combine this week. Joseph and Gerald Skinner are my two favorites, but I'd better go with Joseph because I believe Gerald Skinner declined the Combine in No, he declined to participate in the workouts due to an injury. He is injured so okay, he's injury. okay. So, so that's not going to affect my opinion too much. But I think Joseph and Skinner are my two top safeties, which means is the way I was talking about pro days and everything. Skinner pro day is basically going to be his combine. Yeah. So I, I, I'm perfectly okay with that. And because Jail Skinner was my number three safety back in September. I had Jalen Catalan and Brandon Joseph graded ahead of him. I have And Catalan entered the transfer portal. He's leaving Arkansas. I think he's going to be at Florida State next year. I, I don't know where exactly Catalan's going, but I thought Jalen Catalan was Arkansas's best player on defense. Yeah. rather than Drew Sanders, and he's in the transfer portal. So he's not in this draft, which literally leaves Joseph and Skinner as the two guys I'm the most familiar with. But Brian Branch and Antonio Johnson have showcased their versatility and surged up draft boards as a result. Like, in order to get the game film of Brian... Br Brian Branch is mainly a nickel corner. He played in the star at Alabama, but... He did line up at strong safety and free safety on plays. It's just, you can only see that through his highlights. You can't see that through game film. You actually have to watch the highlights with Brian Branch. And Joey and I were both game film guys, so the fact that we had to go in and actually watch the highlights pisses me off because I want to see him line up as a safety. Well, the games that I saw... He didn't stand out. He stood out in the bowl game against Kansas State, but that's about he didn't it. Stand out. Yeah, he stood out in the bowl game. He stood out with Like, but I, as far as standing out every game, I would say Gail Skinner and Joseph stood out more. I agree game. with that. I agree with that entirely. <laughs> But, like, I feel like Branch is going to go ahead of both of them just because he plays for the bigger-name school. And Antonio Johnson looked really good, too, the Texas A&M safety. Well, I, I, I will say Johnson... Johnson has more experience at safety than Branch because he was a nickel corner in 2021, but he played both that, safety roles this year. Not only that, Notre Dame... Just saying, Notre Dame is listening to Alabama. I'd have to disagree. I think they're about even. Because Notre Dame is Notre Dame. 
I mean, no, nobody's going to take Notre Dame out of Notre Dame. And Brandon Notre Joseph Dame was a two-year starter at Northwestern. In fact, if Brandon Joseph had declared for the 2022 NFL draft, he would have been my number two or number three safety. And I probably would have had a first-round grade on him along with Dax Hill and Kyle Hamilton. He was he would have been my number three safety in 2022 had he declared after that third year. But he chose to come back to school, and then he entered the transfer portal and went to Notre Dame. So Yeah, that's, that, that's actually, that just ups his... He was on the same secondary as New as uh, Greg Newsom and Cameron Mitchell, a corner in this year's draft. So that, that, that would have been a whole that was a whole backfield and then to go to Notre Dame and just excel because Northwestern only used him as a strong safety. He wanted to show teams he could play both strong safety and free safety, which is part of the reason he transferred to Notre Dame. And, and he also played a little bit nickel. So he, he did all three. I, I think he lined up linebacker a couple times. So he, he showed the nation he play a lot of positions. Yeah. A lot of positions. And he did very well. And for itself at every single level. T.L. Skinner, I still think, is the best free safety in this draft. As far as man uh, coverage, I would say he's the best man coverage safety in the entire draft. I think I gave. I think Branch can do well in zone coverage, but the thing is, he's mainly a nickel corner. Antonio Johnson. He transitioned from nickel corner to safety, but he was a pure safety throughout the 2022 season. Whereas with Branch, you actually have to find highlights of him lining up as a safety or a third edge rusher in order to get that film of him at safety that you want to see so badly. Because a lot of mock drafts have Brian Branch going as the first safety off the board. But I feel like... I feel like Joseph is more experienced at safety, and same with Antonio uh, Johnson think, and J.L. Skinner, for that matter. I, I think Johnson is the most experienced and most versatile. I think Skinner is the best free safety in the He is amazing when it comes to his ball skills. I just, I just don't think there's a comparison. I think there's two safeties in this entire draft that I gave an A grade to in man and zone coverage. JL Skinner is one. The other is Jamie Robinson. He had a dominant senior bowl to the point where I moved him ahead of Jordan Battle. That is how good Jamie Robinson's senior bowl was. And you told me he was a starter. I thought he was a backup. You told me he was a starter, so I went back and watched his senior bowl tape, and he, he did enough to move ahead of Jordan Battle. I know we're having a pretty good safety discussion, even though Jalen Carter, even though we were supposed to talk about the Jalen Carter misdemeanor, I'm having a lot of fun with this safety discussion. And one other guy who could sneak into day two really quickly, Joe, we one one more round two safety to keep an eye on is Georgia's free safety, Christopher Smith II. With two years of free safety at Georgia, I think he is a guy. Good senior boy. I think he's a guy who could get picked in the second round. He had a third round grade initially, but I think with a good week, he could probably sneak into the first round. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me because he does come from, and he is a 
guy who is a two-time national champion and was in the rotation and a starter on another one. So, I mean, he has the pedigree. He has the skills. And Lewis Sign went 32nd pick last year. I'm just saying, the Chiefs are picking at 31. If they wanted Christopher Smith II as the replacement to Juan Thornhill at free safety, they weren't confident with where Brian Cook is. You could keep Brian Cook as your backup safety. You could keep Justin Re Justin uh, Reed as your strong safety, and you could replace Juan Thornhill with Christopher Smith II. It's not out of the realm of possibilities with Juan Thornhill set to be UFA. Here's something that I said before. Last year... Eagles have 30. If they lose C.J. Gardner-Johnson, that's another candidate to potentially take Smith at the end of round one. And it is. Look at last year. Georgia has put forth some of the best players in the NFL draft simply because they can play multiple positions. Smith is no different. He, he can play two both safety positions and you know, it's like in the NFL right now, the more positions you can play, the higher you're going to be taken. Could not agree more. I have eight of, of the 15 safeties I have getting drafted, I have eight going in the first three rounds. Seven in the first two rounds, and my one-third round safety with starter potential is G.A.R. Brown, the Penn State free safety. And then I think there's a drop-off from G.A.R. Brown to the backup safeties. At the same token, this is it's a really top-heavy safety draft. So if you want a good safety, you're going to have to get them early. Unless you're prepared to go out and get someone in free agency. Because, as I said, it's, and this is, because Georgia's done it the last two years with the defensive line. And the front seven guys, I would just call the front seven guys, top five guys, including former number one overall. Now, do you not think they are playing, they're playing the long game when it comes to versatile players yeah. of safeties and do you not think safeties who are versatile are not going to go higher and there were a run on good and safeties in the second round of the 2020 draft I remember there were a few safeties like Grant Delpit Xavier McKinney um, Antoine Winfield III there were a few safeties that we had first round grades on all the safeties fell to day two of the draft and then there was a run on safeties in day two of that 2020 draft yeah. I could see yeah. something similar yeah. happening in this draft because I, I, there's really only one team that needs a safety in round one the Packers at 15 they are losing both strong safety Adrian Amos and free safety um Darnell Savage. They lose both safeties that, that to free agency. Very good. That actually brings up a very good point because, as you know, in his good year, Prince brother is uh, a close tender. We did not see the best of him. He is still not seeing the best of him, but up until last year, until late last year, we still see it much better in him. We still see some of the old brand companies. So, but it took two and a half years. So, you know, which that asks, prompts me to ask you, Chris, what 
into the safety. May not show as much as you did in college this year, but by the end of next year, which engine safety do you think is going to produce the most? Among the 2020 safeties, or are you talking just safeties in college football? Just safeties in general. Well, I think a lot of those safeties could emerge because all those rookie safeties are going to be in contract years next year, Joey, and we are approaching the 51st minute on anchor. We're going to go to that segment soon. But right now, I'm looking at Shane Hallam's updated 2024 big board. And James Williams from Miami, Florida, and Andrew Mukabu from Clemson, and Kalen Bullock of Southern Cal are three safeties with first-round grades in 2024. But again, we had this exact same conversation two years ago before the 2021 draft. I think there was a Clemson safety and Bubba Bolden. We were looking at those guys as potentially the top safeties in the 2021 or 2022 draft, and both guys struggled and never lived up to expectations so I'm not really putting too much stock into those safeties right now I just think it's really going to be interesting because it I feel like this safety class is or it's very top heavy and I feel like you can get good value in the first or second round and other, other NFL teams will be like we'll be able to wait till round two whereas I feel like Green Bay and you can't rule out New England because New England might say, you know what, nobody expects us to take a safety. Devin McCourty's a UFA at free safety. Nobody expects us to take a safety in round one. If there's a guy Belichick loves, he'll pick him. If there's a guy, and that would force the Packers to essentially reach for, uh, if the Patriots took Brian Branch at 14 to replace McCourty and he panned out, that would force the Packers to take another safety at 15 before they want to because if they don't address safety and free agency and they're over the cap at the moment Green Bay would essentially have to take a safety before they want to at 15 unless they traded down and got more picks what do you think about that scenario because I could see the Patriots picking the first safety at, Mc at 14 if there's a guy Belichick loves with McCourty gone and then Green Bay loses both of their safeties, so they might have to reach for someone, too. Well, the safety position is Green Bay. I don't know what the hell Green Bay is going to be on. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage are both UFAs. But Green Bay, historically speaking, has drafted safeties in the first round. Haha, -ha Clinton Dix, Demarius Randall, and Darnell Savage. That's three first round safeties by the Packers, dating back to 2014. Yeah, they have. It's, it's just my thought is. Green Bay is so awesome. Deal with your franchise quarterback first. Make sure you have everything needs, then build around that. Green Bay seems to think we're a franchise quarterback. And they don't draft weapons in round one. 
They don't draft receivers and tight ends in round one. Historically speaking, that's the opposite of what the Packers have done. And Robert Tanyan Jr. is a free agent. And I'm not ruling out the possibility the Packers take a tight end at 15. It's just, historically speaking, they've taken three safeties in the first round. They haven't drafted a tight end or receiver in the first round since 2001. I think Bubba Franks was their last first round player at tight end or wide receiver. So that says a lot, Joey. That's really why. Yeah, it does. And it's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, Brian Joe's quarterback? Protecting the They lose both of their free. They lose both of their starting safeties. They're the only NFL team that loses both of their starting safeties to free agency. That's why they're a popular spot for a safety. The same time, it's like who's your quarterback going to be? According to reports. Lazard's a UFA. Lazard's a UFA. And I've got a feeling the Packers... Packers wanted Darren Waller in the Devontae Adams trade. I've got a feeling that they will get Waller if and some picks if they ship Aaron Rodgers off. Because remember, Denver traded Noah Fant to Seattle in the Russell Wilson trade. So... Guess what, sir? Well, they have a crack. Now, guess what? They've got Watson and Dobbs, two receivers I liked. But Dobbs did not assert his dominance when Watson was injured. And when Watson came back, he could only do so much with Dobbs and Lazard complimenting him. So yeah, like, I love Watson. I love Watson. But like you said, there's only so much one receiver can make. Gotta get a second one. I think Dobbs can be a number two. I think he was on pace to be a number two before the injuries. I know you're skeptical, but he was a number one at Nevada for three years. I think he can be the number two. Remember, this was his rookie year. I am skeptical. I am hopeful. They drafted Samari Torrier in the seventh round out of Nebraska. He looked good against the Bills in limited action. I think he'll have a bigger role with the team next year. But will he do enough to assert himself as like a Edelman type, or will he just be another Amendola, Chris Hogan guy, plays out his rookie contract and then goes elsewhere? That's really... Dobbs did well in the op- in his debut against Tampa. Well, Dobbs did, but... Yeah, Torre didn't do anything. 
because Torrey hardly played due to injuries. I think in week seven against the Bills, Packers didn't have Lazard. I think he got injured in that game. Um, Sammy Watkins was out. Randall Cobb was out. And I think Lazard, one of the receivers for Green Bay, got injured against the Bills. So they brought in Samari Torrey in that game on Sunday Night Football against the Bills. And he did have, I believe he did have a touchdown in that game. And if not, he had a big play. Because I remember him against the Bills, um, Samari Torrey. We are running down the last 15 seconds on anchor, but I'm going to try to quickly... Okay, five receptions, 82 yards, and a touchdown. That was his stat line as his rookie. And he had the touchdown against the Bills. All right, we're back. We were discussing Samari Torrey and the safeties at the Combine. But again, Packers are interesting because... I feel like they could reload on offense. They could also go on defense. They just have a lot of holes, and they only have, I think, they have first, a second, a third-round pick. I think they, I'm not sure if they have a fourth-round pick. I'm double-checking something. Um, yeah, the Packers do have a fourth-round pick, and then they have a fifth-round, they have two fifth-round picks. They have their fifth-round pick, and they have a comp fifth-round pick which I gave them Nebraska receiver Trey Palmer with that fifth-round comp pick. But it's a deep receiver draft. Could you go through the combine of tight ends that they could choose in the third, fourth, or fifth round? I have Michael, I have Michael Mayer as the number one tight end. He's my only round one tight end. But I have a tight end run in round two with... Starting with Carolina and ending at Green Bay, where I have Darnell Washington going to Carolina, Cameron Latu, the Alabama tight end, going to New Orleans, Dalton Kincaid going to the Titans, and then after that, I have Luke Musgrave, the Oregon State tight end, going to Green Bay in round two. So I have four tight ends going in the middle of round two. In the early to mid part of the second round, I have four tight ends getting drafted. But ESPN's got two... I've seen ESPN mock drafts from Todd McShay with two or three tight ends going in round one. And a lot of it is the media trying to create shock value by driving up the tight ends. I do agree with Daniel Jeremiah. It's the best tight end group since 2013 when you add Tyler Eifert, Zach Ertz, and Travis Kels all in the same draft. I think you could argue this draft is about as it's the deepest tight end group since 2017. I'm not arguing that. I agree with that thought process. I think there are five tight ends that can run 30 routes and can block well on tape. There's nine tight ends that can run all 30 routes on the route tree, including Noah Gindorf, an injury-prone tight end from North Dakota State in round four, and Tucker Kraft in round three, who I mocked the Jaguars. So... I do think it's a really deep tight end draft. At the same token, I want to see what these tight ends do at the combine. And are we going to see a tight end dominate the way we saw Trey McBride dominate? Or are we going to... Because Trey McBride fell a lot further than he did despite catching every target at the combine last year. I mean, I thought he was going to go in round one after catching every single ball that came his way at the Combine, but he fell to round two. So are we going to see a, comp, a tight end dominate the Combine like him? We're not going to see Kyle Pitts, that's for sure. 
But, like, are we going to see a tight end? Dom Pitts is an outlier. Forget I said that. Um, are we going to see a tight end dominate like Trey McBride did? And will that get them picked in the first round? I, I don't know. It's because McBride did have a good rookie season. But it is difficult these days unless you get the right person to have a great rookie season as a tight end. So will a tight end have a great rookie season? I can't tell you. Unless you have a tight end that can check every box like Kyle Pitts... They're not going to come in and dominate as a rookie. The Steelers did pick Pat Fryermuth over Creed Humphrey, but Fryermuth started as a rookie. So you can't really say the Steelers whiffed on that pick. They could have gone a different direction. Fryermuth did have a really good rookie year. It wasn't anything like Kyle Pitts, but it was a really good rookie year. So I will give him fair work as Yeah. And I think this draft has better route runners than 2022, and I think it's just a better overall class. And some people are saying 2024's tight end class could be better than this one. I think Brock Bowers is better than every tight end in 2023. Does that make the 2024 tight end class better than this one? No. I think it's too early to have that conversation, even though I think 2024 is going to be a good group as well. And there's even people speculating that the Chiefs might get a successor to Travis Kelsey. Kelsey is still 34. He's still in his prime. I don't think he showed any signs of declining yet. And you still have Noah Gray on his rookie deal for two years. Doesn't that say something? Because we were talking about this, like I told you. The stars come out at night. Then Kelsey comes out and breaks his own record for receptions against the Jaguars. But Daniel Jeremiah is saying the Chiefs are going to draft another tight end. He's 34 years old. He, he comes out and dominates with that. It's like, it, it, it's, Kelsey is just that good. I mean, can, can we just, I mean, can we put him with Gonzalez Rock and say, Okay, the greatest all-time tight end right now. There's only five tight ends who've exceeded 10,000 receiving yards. Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp, Rob Gronkowski, and Travis Kelsey. That's it. And, and, and it's like, I mean, at this point, I mean, doesn't this cement Kelsey? Because I will say that... He won that game against the Jaguars, and without his contributions, they don't win the Super Bowl this year. So, when do you say he is the best or at least the second best? He is a Hall of Fame tight end. Nobody's denying that. I would put him... Of course he is. At the same time, you got to... At this point, you guys start the debate. I mean, literally, without him, okay. they do not beat the Jaguars. Okay, there are only four tight ends that exceeded 10,000 yards. NFL Red Zone said there were five, but there's only four. Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, and Travis Kelsey. Those are the only four to exceed 10,000 receiving yards. Gronkowski's at 9,286 yards from regular season play. 
But Shannon Sharp's at 9,961, but I'm not sure if they're counting his playoff games or just regular season. So, I don't know. Like, Shannon is, has always been the greatest tight end of all time, in my opinion, but I have to say, it's like, this all season tells me it's like, Shannon's got some competition. I mean, Shannon, part of the reason why Shannon was considered the greatest tight end of all time is because he won three Super Bowls, two in Denver and one in Baltimore with Dilfer. Um, Gronkowski won three Super Bowls with Brady. Kels has more yards than both Gronk and Sharp. If he wins another Super Bowl, he is the GOAT. Gronk is the man's man of NFL players. Yes. Rob Gronkowski can be the man's man of tight ends. He can be the he can be the life of the party. He can be the Hugh Hefner of tight ends. Nobody's taking that away from Gronkowski. He is the man's man. But if Kelsey wins another Super Bowl, he is the goat. He is the goat tight end. And there is no disputing that. I don't think it really depends because he would have to have a great performance. The one that held ahead to this into this conversation was the game against the Jaguars. You did not break your own record for receptions and lead your team past a team that was thought to have had a chance to beat you, and you lead them into a decisive win. As a tight end, without being the best of the best. Yeah. And Kelsey did exactly that. He he was he was spectacular. He was magnificent. He was the best tight end. Yeah, but Jeremiah is speculating that the Chiefs could draft a successor to Jason Kels, and I just feel like that's a clickbait headline because you still have you you still have that's just trying to create shock value and clickbaiting people. Like you still have Noah Gray under contract for two more seasons. You have Kelsey under contract for three more seasons. So, I don't. I think Noah Gray is going to end up getting a starting tight end job somewhere else. He's going to continue to learn under Kelsey. But the thing is, I, I, I don't think people realize if they watch Kels, he looks like he does a He's got at least five, six good years left in barring injury. He has three years left on his contract. Starting in 2023, he has three years left on his current contract, and he might get re-signed. I, I mean, as long, if he avoids injuries, if he avoids injuries, I could see him playing till he's 40. He's gonna be 34 in. He's gonna be 34 in um, October. I can honestly see Kelsey playing until he's 39 or 40, Joey. As crazy as that's gonna sound. I could see him playing. You're not sounding crazy here, Chris. I can see the same thing. He doesn't look like he's aged at all. Uh, He actually looks like he's getting better with age. But that just leads me to ask you, among the second and fourth round of receivers in the combine, 
at tight end. Tight end is the line. Second to fourth round. What are your top this year? Okay, we already talked about the best blockers not named Michael Mayer. I talked about George's Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid, Cameron Cameron Latu had ten. Cameron Latu was open on at least ten plays against Texas. I know Young didn't get him the ball, but he was open. Like he was gaining separation. I think Latu can take over a game if you give him the opportunity. Alabama did not utilize their tight ends in the passing game. They mainly utilized their tight ends as blockers, um, run blockers. I don't blame Saban for that, but I feel like Latu could do more. Um, I feel like Luke Musgrave could do more. Musgrave would have had 100 yards on J.L. Skinner had it not been for a season-ending injury. So then you get to the third round. You get to that next tier of round three guys— and I think we can agree, after Mayer, there's about four challengers. Kincaid, Musgrave, Darnell Washington, and Cameron Latu. Those are the four main challengers to Mayer. And I'd put them in Tier 2. I think after that, we get to Tier 3. I do have a, I do have a few third-round tight ends in this draft that can run every route on the route tree, but they're not exactly as refined of a blocker. One of those guys is Iowa's Sam Laporta. Had him at 64 to Green Bay at the, back in September. I now have him as my top round three tight end. I also have Payne Durham, a guy who doesn't have a lot of separation, but he did. He's the only tight end outside of um, Mayer and Kincaid to have over 60 receptions in college in the FBS. So, uh, and Payne Durham was one of the tight ends that got a cover photo for Purdue in Athlon Sports College Football Magazine. They gave Mayer and Payne Durham the two cover photos. And then Jack's South Dakota State tight end Tucker Kraft led South Dakota State to their first FCS title in school history. So, and Dane Brugler had Tucker Kraft in his top 50 back in September. So I have Tucker Kraft going to Jacksonville in round three, he would be a number two tight end to Evan Ingram, or he'd compete with Luke Farrell for a number two tight end job. If Ingram doesn't re-sign with Jacksonville, he'd have to start right away, or the Jaguars would have to spend a first or second round pick. But Lawrence has already indicated he wants Ingram back. The Jaguars seem to feel mutually. And Zay, Zay Jones is a player Jacksonville couldn't cut. I didn't think they could restructure him, but Balky found a way to restructure him. So that does change things now, and I think that does does mean if Jacksonville were to draft a tight end, he'd probably start out as a number two tight end to Ingram. But if Ingram got injured, he'd have a chance to steal the job from Ingram. But yeah, I've got eight tight ends in the first three rounds, and then my only round four tight end at the mo I have two round four tight ends in. Noah Gindorf can run every route on the route tree, but is injury prone. And then the other round four tight end is Josh Weil, Cincinnati tight end who's listed as the third best run blocker in the entire draft, according to Pro Football Focus. He's the third best run blocking tight end in the entire draft class. So that is something to pay attention to. 
And I do have one tight end in the fifth round in Zach Kuntz out of Old Dominion, but you could also look at a guy like Will Mallory from Miami. I, I mean, there's a bunch of tight ends in this draft, so I don't think you can sleep on any of them. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this tight end class plays itself out. Anything you want to add, Joey? Yeah, as I'm sitting here thinking, uh, you, Adrian was such an integral part. And it will be up to the salary cap whether he gets resigned for how much. But the fact that you're talking to... The fact that we're talking about drafting a tight end at this point for Jacksonville shows that their salary cap may not be as stable as we all like to think. But at the same time, the Jaguars are losing two tight ends, Arnold and Ingram. Even if Ingram comes back, you have to replace Arnold. And the tight ends in this draft are better than Luke Farrell. I love Ohio State football, but the tight ends in this draft are better than Luke Farrell. Yes, they definitely are. And that, that's what I'm saying. It's like we're, we're talking about something that is... I think they will get Ingram back. Because Ingram wants to be here, the Jags want him, they'll come to an agreement. If those two things, they'll always come to an agreement. But what about their back guy? That is the question. I don't think Dan Arnold will re-sign with Jacksonville. And there's about, there's, you look at the tight end, there's three tight ends in round three, four in round two, not named Michael Mayer. And then I've got, two tight ends in round four. So that's four, that's five, that's that's nine tight ends in rounds two through four outside of Mayer. Jacksonville's going to get one. It's a numbers game. They're going to get one of those nine tight ends. They may not get the yeah. one they want, but odds are they're going to get one of those nine. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking they may either get one of the, just based on Jacksonville's thought process, I think they may get one of the Chiefs from Utah, or they may get one of the Chiefs from Georgia. I don't think the Utah tight end will be there unless they pick him in the first round. I think Mayer will be the first one off the board, and I think every I think the Oregon State and Utah tight ends will both be gone by the time Jacksonville gets their second round pick. That's why I went with Tucker Craft in round three. Because he's easily the best South Dakota State tight end since Dallas Goder. He's just as lethal of a route runner, but he didn't have a 100-yard game this year after dealing with an injury early in the season. And Sam Laporta is the best pass-blocking and run-blocking tight end. He's got, he's got a good route tree. His quarterback didn't always get him the ball. But Laporta is a legit sleeper outside of the first two rounds. I gave Laporta to Miami. But Miami's got Durham Smythe and Hunter Long under contract, but neither's an established starter, and you're losing Mike Gesicki, which is why I went Laporta for Miami. But Laporta could be in play for Miami, but if you don't get one of those top five tight ends, it's either Sam Laporta, Payne Durham, 
who doesn't get a lot of separation on his routes. Great route runner, but doesn't get a lot of breakaway speed and separation. And then Tucker Craft of South Dakota State. You have to settle for one of those three in round three if you're the Jaguars. If you cannot get... If you want Kincaid or Musgrave, you've got to pick him in round one. I know that sounds like a panic move, but I don't realistically, I don't think the Jaguars are going to pick a tight end in round one if they bring Ingram back. That's just my thought process, Joey. In, in, that, sense, in that sense, they said yeah, that the running back, you know, in round one was a panic move as well. So I, I'm asking you here... What happens at the senior bowl? So potentially be taken by a team that maybe is in the playoff hunt or fringe playoff, late playoff, fourth place team. By tackle, are you referring to offensive or defensive tackle from the senior bowl? Offensive tackle. Offensive tackle. One offensive tackle from the Senior Bowl. I've got three offensive tackles going in round one, but none of them were at the Senior Bowl. Skoronsky, Paris Johnson, and Broderick Jones. I think one offensive tackle from the Senior Bowl that could move up into day one is Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. Will Anderson called him the toughest opponent he faced. NFL Rookie Watch tweeted that Wright did not give up a sack all season. While that is true, he did give up quarterback hurries. I saw him give up a few quarterback hurries against Brenton Cox, but he was flawless against Alabama. And Will Anderson could end up very well end up being the number one pick in the draft if Chicago stays at one. So Wright, Wright is probably the guy that could play himself into day one. Another offensive tackle that could play himself into day one is my current number five offensive tackle, Cody Mock. He's the North Dakota State offensive tackle. I mocked him to the Bengals in round two. But both Mock and Wright are the two senior were the top two offensive tackles at the senior bowl. And I think both of those guys are gonna get picked in the second round. They could both end up going earlier than where I'm projecting them. But Mock was Mock did not give up a single quarterback hurry in Mobile. And there was something about him that stood out because when you watch Dylan Redunds at the Senior Bowl, NFL teams had Dylan Redunds line up at left guard for most of the time and left tackle. Whereas with Mock, he was a left tackle the entire Senior Bowl, and he didn't give up a hurry. And there are some people that think Mock could slip sneak into the first round. Same with Wright. You know, Anton Harrison as well. Anton Harrison's my number four OT. I have him going the Steelers at the start of round two, but... There's a lot of people speculating that Harrison, Mock, and even Darnell Wright could sneak into day one. Those three don't have as much traction as Broderick Jones and the two underclassmen in the Big Ten, Paris Johnson and Peter Skaronsky, but those but those day two guys in the second round have some traction. I mean, Anton Harrison's an underclassman, but Daniel Kelly of first draft compared him to Trent Williams. And I feel like that's a bit of a stretch considering that or Oklahoma has not had a good offensive tackle since Orlando Brown. They did have Cody Ford and um, the other offensive tackle that the Rams took in the 2019 draft, Bobby Evans, but neither one of those guys panned out. And I'm really curious 
to see if Anton Harrison gives Oklahoma their best offensive tackle in the NFL draft since Orlando Brown Jr. Because if you're comparing him to Trent Williams, another former Oklahoma tackle, he's a guy who could sneak into day one, and I think you can make that argument for Cody Mock or Darnell Wright. In order for that to happen, I think we'd have to see Skorodsky and Ant and Paris Johnson go off the board at 7-8 and eight, like Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah are speculating. Because if those two go off the board at 7-8, and eight, another ta- Broderick Jones will go off the board at 11, the Titans, and that'll, that'll push the other offensive tackles that had round two grades up into the first round, essentially. How do you feel about that, Joey? Because I feel like that's the type of scenario that would have to occur the Falcons and Raiders just draft um, Skaronsky and Paris Johnson as right tackles, and the Titans get Broderick Jones, and then the other guys that are round two guys get pushed into the first round. I don't think it's an inconceivable scenario, but I think that would have to happen in order for Cody Mock or Darnell Wright to get picked in day one. Yeah, you, this really got me going with the... Uh, when you start saying something about Cyril Bassett, Cyril Backwoods, the man child, the man on the boy, right now he's a 49er with his age, and you mentioned him. That made me stop. Well, Daniel Kelly was a former scout with the New York Jets, according to him, and he said that Anton Harrison reminded him of Trent Williams. And I have Anton Harrison going at pick 32 to the Steelers in round two with the Bears pick. But I think he could go into round one. I think he could sneak into round one. And I I think the two senior bull tackles, Mock and Darnell Wright, could also sneak into round one. It just depends on how early the offensive tackles get picked. He he might sneak into round one, but he would not be a solo backboard. I agree. Williams was Williams was an exception to the rule. Yeah, and everybody was questioning because remember Russell Okun was the top tackle in 2010, and most mock draft sites had Russell Okun as OT one. So when the Redskins took. Trent Williams, and pardon me for calling them the Redskins because they were the Redskins in 2010. They became the football team in 2021 and then the Commanders in 2022. But Washington took Trent Williams over Orlando Brown, and that was seen as a controversial decision at the time until Washington traded Trent Williams because Trent Williams was fed up with Dan Snyder. He was, he was getting paid well, but he was unhappy with the team not addressing quarterback at the time, and he just was fed up with Dan Snyder to the point where he wasn't going to, re- where he was either going to re- retire or not show up at camp unless Washington traded him, and they traded him to San Francisco, I think, and the rest is history. Let's, let's, let's be honest. That's not a knock against Trent a Williams. That's. Cancer, a brain tumor, and he came back from that. Okay, Washington tried to cover that up. 
under Dan Snyder. And that's where the big issue between... That does not tarnish his legacy as a Hall of Fame offensive tackle. Because if if Washington doesn't cover that up, he stays with the team his entire career potentially. So I'm not knocking that against him. I'm knocking Washington for covering that up. Absolutely not Washington because that only enhances his Hall of Fame credentials because the silverback, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, most physically gifted, beat brain tumors. He beat brain cancer. He still came back with the $40 and started whooping ass again. So anybody who compares anybody to that, you better be looking at Joe Thomas, Orlando Pace. You better be looking at Hall of Fame. You better say this is I don't think this draft has a blue chip offensive tackle. I think there are guys who could end up maxing out in the low 90s, like 91, 92, 93 out of 99 and Madden five years down the road. But I don't see a guy who's a 95 or higher, like a surefire, that's a round one left tackle. That, that's what I'm saying right now. Right now. The entire thought process between... Offensive tackle. You have a Burnside Hall of Famer playing, first battle Hall of Famer playing with San Francisco. You have the Hall of Fame game highlighted in Cleveland by arguably the greatest offensive tackle to play the game. And it's going to be Jets versus Browns. Two Jets are getting in the Hall of Fame, including Darrell Revis. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Joe Thomas is also going to be sworn into Canton. And Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis were both members of the 2007 NFL draft. So. Yeah, it, 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 it's. So, if you're thinking of these guys that are coming in as. I think that is a. That is hyping up Anton Harrison to say he's going to be as good as Trent Williams. But this is what a lot of people do. And another scouting report Daniel Kelly made, he compared Kalijah Cansey, the pit defensive tackle, to Warren Sapp. I like Kalijah Cansey. He can play 0-5 through five technique. He's very versatile. But I wouldn't compare him to Warren Sapp because Warren Sapp was an exceptional block shedder. And he could win with power or finesse, rip, swim moves, clubs. It didn't matter. I don't see that with Cansey. Could he develop that down the road? Yeah. But I don't see that with him right now. That's all. Well, I, I, I will say to the analysts that compare these guys to Hall of Famers immediately, you're full of shit. I will call you out face to face. We need to get on a stream because I've been networking with this uh, William Yanish he, 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 on Facebook. He writes for First Draft. We should get on a draft stream with First Draft. <laughs> I, I want to see your reaction. I, I don't think Anton Harrison's as good as Trent Williams. Okay, I don't agree with that comparison at all. You really want to burn those bridges, Chris? No, I don't. 
I just don't agree with that assessment at all. I mean, Orlando Brown. All right, let's talk about the running back class because uh, there are 13 running backs on my rankings that check off the pass blocking, speed, vision, and pass catching categories. And the two round one guys are Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs out of Texas and Alabama. The two, I have three guys in round two at the moment. Sean Tucker out of Syracuse is my RB3, but I've seen him drop the third to fourth round because his yards per carry fell this year, despite the fact that he ran for a thousand yards. Um, I have Tajai Spears, the two lane running back, as RB4. And I have Pittsburgh's Israel Abenconda barely making round two with the Panthers pick from San Francisco because you told me about him in the fall and he stepped up to the plate once Pickett left. So I and and Pitt's coach has described him as a five tool running back. They can do it all. Pass block, ball carrier vision pass catch run the ball they only threw him the ball like 14 to 20 times but he caught every target thrown his way so i mean he, he was always one of those guys that could do everything but he was not asked to do everything and but when he was asked to do different things he stepped he up to the occasion yeah, he's so, he's so bad. And, you know, so... I like Conda more than the two pit running backs that I did film cuts on. They had Andre Olison and they had another guy that were splitting carries in Pittsburgh's backfield. I like Conda more than both of those guys. That should tell you something. That's why I have him in round two. He ran for 320 yards and six touchdowns against Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech's no slouch in the run defense. They have a middle linebacker, Dax Hollifield, who was projected to go in the seventh round to UDFA territory. So to run for 320 yards and six touchdowns on that guy, that, that says something. And, and they, they were a Mitchell Schwartz type offense, which is very good at stopping the run. Yeah, Mark Sub is a huge pit fan. He said thinks that Abenconda is gonna be a steal in the draft, but I don't think he's gonna make round three. I have Zach Evans as the top third round running back. There are a lot of people. Evans dominated in high school, but he got hyped up. When he left TCU to go to Ole Miss, he got hyped up to the point where he was a consensus top five running back. I still think he'll go in the third round, but I don't think he's in that round one to two conversation anymore. And another guy I really like is Chase Brown out of Illinois. Um... The one thing I wanted to see him fix was his pass blocking, but Mike Tannebaum wouldn't shut up about Chase Brown and the pass blocking drills on ESPNU at the 2022 Senior Bowl, and he fixed his one weakness, 
So now, all of a sudden, Chase Brown is in that day two discussion now because he fixed his biggest weakness. He could, he had the vision, the pass catching, the rushing. Pass blocking was really the one area Chase Brown needed to fix, and he cleaned that up. And that was the big question with Damian Pierce, but there was clips of Damian Pierce knocking a defender on his ass at the Senior Bowl. I don't think he's as tenacious as Damian Pierce, but he did fix his pass blocking. That might get him pushed into the second, into the third round. I don't think he'll go round two, but I think Brown's got a shot to go round three. He's learned how to pass block better. Has he mastered the art of pass blocking? No. He's not mastered pass protection for a running back. Yeah, so he, 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 will, he will continue to learn. Yeah. Has he fixed it? No. Will he fix it? Now, that's a different question. Because uh, Chase Brown ran for 100 yards on Michigan, and if Illinois had a more competent quarterback besides Tommy DeVito, I saw DeVito at the Shrine game, the former Syracuse QB. It was He was pretty bad at the Shrine game practices. I'm not going to lie. I would be... My nose would be growing like Pinocchio's if I told you that Tommy DeVito had the tools to be an NFL quarterback. And my nose would be growing so far that I would be putting dents in my laptop. If I told you Tommy DeVito was a first-round QB, there would be a dent in my laptop. That's how big my nose would be if I told you Tommy DeVito was that guy. He's not. I looked at Tommy DeVito, and I was like... Because this is is the thing, Wes and I were having a conversation about how good Illinois' defensive backs were, how Chase Brown was solid, because Illinois got two corners in this draft, plus Sidney Brown, the twin brother of Illinois running back Chase Brown, and those guys played with Kirby Joseph. So, and Illinois' offensive linemen in the 2021 and 22 drafts were solid as well. So if they had a, if they had gotten a quarterback that was a little bit more competent than Tommy DeVito, they probably do beat Michigan because they were a, they were tied with Michigan in the fourth quarter. And out of every Big Ten opponent, the one Big Ten team that did not get blown out by Michigan was Illinois. Everyone else got blown out by Illinois in the Everyone else got blown out by Michigan in the Big Ten. Illinois was the one team that was able to go toe-to-toe with them for four quarters until the six-minute mark where Michigan pulled away. So, what does that tell you? Illinois got some talent in this draft. I've acknowledged it. Wes has acknowledged it. You've acknowledged it. But let's move on to these fourth-round running backs. My top fourth-round running back is Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina, a guy we both like. He is very good in pass protection. He's easily my favorite East Carolina running back since Chris Johnson. Is he the star Johnson? Is Of course not. And to ask that of him is just is unrealistic to ask that of him. Could he be a Clinton Portis, Terrell Davis type of steal in the day three of the draft? Absolutely. And 
I really like Keaton Mitchell despite the fact that he's an underclassman. I um I also like Chris Rodriguez Jr. I know the suspension's gonna question his character, but he's good. And Deuce Vaughn is amazing in pass protection. He's amazing on special teams despite being five foot six. And uh, there's uh, two more running backs I have in round four: Evan Hole of Northwestern. I see Rex Burkhead's floor, Austin Eckler's upside. I'm willing to gamble on that in round four, even with a 4-6-40 time. He's projected to run a 4-6, but he shows flashes of Austin Eckler on film at Northwestern. Now, not enough to the point where I think you can compare him to Eckler, but enough to the point where you can take a flyer on him in the fourth round. And I really like Kendra Miller, the running back who came into TCU and replaced Zach Evans. I think those guys in round four are bargains. And one more running back that did not make my first four rounds that I think you can argue is a round three running back is Zach Charbonnet of UCLA. I've heard reports he's not going to test well medically at the Combine, which is the only reason he dropped to round five. But there's a few running backs that check three out of four boxes like... Uh, Eric Gray, Oklahoma, Devin Achane, Texas A&M, Roshan Johnson, Texas running back, was doing well in pass protection before he left the senior bowl with an injury. So after the top 13 running backs, you got those running backs, Mohamed Ibrahim, Minnesota, and you got uh, Kazir Allen, the UCLA running back, that's Ken LeBlanc's number two running back behind the Minnesota running back. So you look at this running back draft, You've got at least 13 running backs that check off all four of my boxes and at least five more running backs that check off three out of four boxes. So I'm not sure. If you only check off two of the boxes out of four, I'm not even sure you're going to get drafted at this point, Joey. As brutal as that sounds, that's the reality of the situation with this draft class. I mean, you got anything you want to add to that? Because this... Okay, can you hear me? Um, I can hear you. Go uh, ahead. My phone just decided to do whatever it wanted to do. But, yeah, I can see it would be difficult to traffic based on what I don't remember a running back class where there are 13 running backs that check off the four main boxes. The four main boxes... All of them. I don't remember a running back class where there were 13. I think you can make an argument this draft is on par with 2017 in terms of talent. Now, in terms of star power, no. In terms of overall talent and depth, yes. I think you can make an argument. I think the best talent that's going to be found in this draft class is going to be under free agents. There's going to be a lot of guys that are going to look at that teams going to look at. Uh, for kickoff returns, special teams guys, and third string running backs. I mean, 
I just thought it was gonna be a great deal of these guys. I like Tavian Thomas as a runner and a pass catcher, but his ball carrier vision and pass blocking's got to improve. Same with Tank Bigsby. Those guys are guys who would be fourth round picks in any normal draft. Nor any normal draft. Any normal draft. Utah running back Tavian Thomas or Tank Bigsby of Auburn get picked. In this draft, those guys are going to be day three picks, and they might go undrafted. Well, Utah used the two-back set. Tavian Thomas. Utah used the two-back set. And the backup running back at Utah was better in pass protection than uh, Tavian Thomas. So Thomas, they used him less. The coaching staff at Utah used him less. But I do like him as a pass catcher. I like him. I do like Thomas. Uh, Thomas is a guy I think is under the radar. I think he will be taken a lot earlier than a lot of people think. I had him as running back 13 initially, but I dropped him to running back 16 or 17 after doing more research, and he might be the 19th running back off the board. That's why this running back class is all over the place. I think William Yanish described this running back class as it's the type of class you pick your poison with. And that's why it's so difficult to assess this running back class because you got 13 running backs that check off four boxes, you got five running backs that check off three boxes. And then you got a few guys like Tank, Bigsby, Auburn, Tavian, Thomas, Utah that check off two boxes, but not all four of them. So you could get one of those guys in round six or seven, and it could end up being a steal if you develop them. So that's why. Yeah. Running and pass catching are the two boxes Tavian Thomas checks off. Now, if he works on his ball carrier vision and pass catching, he could be a steal. Yeah, because Thomas is one of those guys that I like. He I was at the Shrine Bowl. Innocent. He was good. He is an innocent, I think he is an innocent weapon for anybody to grasp. And I like the Tulane running back. The Tulane running back... Um, Tulane running back really stood out at the Shrine game, and I, I'm I'm serious. They, Daneric Prince from Tulsa, stood out when I was at the Shrine game practice. He stood out. Dwayne McBride, he's another one of these guys that really only checked off two of the five box, two of the four boxes for me, but he is at the uh, combine. And um, Travis Dye, another Shrine game guy at the combine. Um, one guy who I did not expect to be at the Combine who is there is Sir Roderick Thompson from Texas Tech. That kind of took me by surprise because I was not expecting to see him there at the Combine. I'm not going to say he was or wasn't deserving. I'm just a little bit surprised that Sir Roderick Thompson, who entered the preseason as the top offensive player on Texas Tech, made the Combine. I'm just a little surprised by that. I think everyone on this running back list is deserving. I'm just a little bit surprised by Sir Roderick Thompson getting a combine invite. Yeah, 
I'm not as right, but I will I will be surprised if he is a high invite. Say one of the top running backs in play. We'll be surprised at that. But to be surprised that he's delayed at all? No. Yeah, and this receiver draft, I think we've already talked about the receivers. Um, offensive line, I think there are some edge rushers. I want to talk about the edge rushers here. We've got about... We're at the 47-minute mark on the second anchor recording. Uh, this is a very deep edge rusher class. It's pretty deep at corner, too. I think you can get talent at edge rusher in round three, four, five, six, seven. Well, I really like. I no longer have gas, so I'm, I'm standing a lot better since I just broke three times. There's a few Shrine so, Game guys who really stood out. Ca Caleb Murphy from Ferris State, 25 and a half sacks. He interviewed well. Um, Filiami Fahoku Jr., San Jose State guy. Another player that stood out, Ikena Ichenukwu from Rice, had 21 quarterback hurries. Struggled against USC, but really good tape. And I felt like there were more quality edge rushers at the Shrine game than there were the Senior Bowl, as crazy as that sounds. But Will McDonald, Keon White, these are guys who had good Senior Bowls. I like what they provide athletically. Not exactly convinced they're first-round prospects yet. And that doesn't mean they can't become that. But Jordan McFadden owned Keon White in the one-on-ones. White got his sacks against Clemson against a true freshman right tackle. So we'll see what happens. But I really like this edge rusher. If you need a cornerback, edge rusher, offensive tackle, running back, or wide receiver, this is your draft to reload at those positions. I, I, am, I really like Paul McDonald. I do. Uh, Paul McDonald is the guy I think he has some good moves, he has good athleticism. I do think he has some growing to do. But at the same time, I think he has a hell of a lot of potential. I, I can see him as a second or third round pick. I have him in round three, but I won't be surprised if he moves into round two. He might be one of these guys who goes a lot earlier than where we're projecting him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Because, you know, he, he did so much more than his uh, statistical output, I will say. And he did play a yeah, I think the thinnest position... What's the thinnest position in the draft? I will say the thinnest position in the draft is inside linebacker. I like... I think Noah Sewell has the most upside of the inside linebackers tomorrow, and I think the safest linebacker is Henry Toato. But after that, it's all over the place, Joey. I mean, right now the consensus linebacker three is Arkansas's Drew Sanders. But I'm not entirely convinced he's the third best linebacker. You watch the TCU playoff win over Michigan, you're telling yourself that D. Winters is the best linebacker. 
Owen Popo. I've read reports from Auburn's radio stations that Owen Popo could go ahead of Derek Hall, the Auburn edge rusher projected to go. I love Ivan Pace, the junior, as a pass rusher and run stuffer, but he's got to develop his coverage. If he can do that, I think Ivan Pace Jr. has a case to move into this conversation with Winters. Thinking, cause I'm actually thinking about the tennis position. Servacha uh, Dennis is a great run stuffer. No, Servacha Dennis is a great. Well, no linebacker and house linebacker both just seem to jump out. And I'm not sure which one is the best. I think outside linebacker is actually somewhat deep, but it's a pretty thin middle linebacker pool. I put 15 linebackers in my rankings, but Carlton Marsh Meridal is one of the linebackers that did not get a combine invite. And the most impressive thing he did was break Luke Keekley's record for tackles. Another linebacker that had 150 tackles in the FCS that did not get a combine invite is Johnny Buchanan out of Delaware. He had over 150 tackles in the FCS this year, but he did not warrant a combine invite. I'm not going to give the combine shit for not giving Buchanan an invite. They didn't really do their due diligence on him, but Marital, on the other hand... Marital broke Luke Keekley's record for tackles. How do you miss on this? Carlton Marital broke Luke Keekley's college record for tackles, a record that stood the test of time for nearly a decade. He broke that record, and he didn't even get a combine invite. So I'm kind of pissed about that as a fan. This is the media kicking the small school guy in the nads. That's what this is. The mainstream. Because this is a. I had Marital, I think, in the second or third round back in September. I still have a fifth round grade on him, but I'm just not sure where he ends up. Because I think he's a 43 Mike linebacker. Well, he is incredibly athletic. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a good leader. And he doesn't miss a lot of tackles. So, in that sense, he is not only a great Mike linebacker, but he is potentially a good leader on a Yeah. I'm already looking at what adjustments can I make. If I add round five and the Cowboys get two comp picks, I might change the Connor Galvin pick to Carlton Marital because I did have a fifth round grade on Carlton Marital, but I wanted to put him on a team where he could be a 43 Mike linebacker like he is at Troy. And Leighton Vander Esch is a UFA, so Dallas is a perfect fit for Marital. And DeMarcus Ware went to Troy. He's going to be inducted into Canton, too. So it's kind of fitting that Dallas drafts another front seven player from Troy. I don't think Merritt will be as good as Ware was, but, you know, just wanted to bring that up with Ware getting inducted into Canton this August. I'm not trying to compare the two. Ware's an edge rusher, exceptional player, but... If you don't compare Ware against anybody... Thomas, and look at one of them more. 
This is the Browns fan and Joey talking. This is not the realist. No, no, no. This, this is definitely the Browns fan and Joey talking. <laughs> I mean, you don't need a lie detector test to know that, but Joe Thomas was that good. Was that good? He, he, he really was. Even when we were talking and it was like Joe Thomas's. Some other combine snubs. I'm going to get to the other combine snubs briefly, Joey, because you wanted to mention some of the combine snubs. Carlton Marital was the big one that stood out to you. Stephen Gilmore Jr., younger brother of Stephon Gilmore. Not sure if he's going back to Marshall or if he's not is if he's actually in this draft as a late round prospect. Zakari Franklin can run all thirty routes in the route tree. I had him at thirty two in September. He's not on the combine list. Um, Holton Ehlers, he was the MVP of the Hula Bowl and the NFLPA Bowl. Didn't get a Senior Bowl invite. Didn't get a Shrine Game call up. Didn't even get an invite to the combine, which I am pissed about because he earned it. He was the MVP of two senior All-Star games. And you're telling me he's not good enough to go to the Combine or the Senior Bowl? No! I mean, Malik Cunningham was missing some passes at the Senior Bowl, and Holt Naylor's outplayed him in the NFL PA Bowl in the game. I, I'm sick of watching Holt Naylor's get disrespected. And him and Corey Curtis of Gannon are two quarterbacks not on the combine list that you guys need to keep an eye on and Corey Curtis he was an Ohio State quarterback that transferred to Gannon in the same quarterback room with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow he's a guy that actually wants to come on our podcast so we'll be able to ask him about the Ohio State quarterback room how that prepared him for Gannon if you was definitely ask him because I am one of those guys from Ohio. I know he's Ohio mentality. I will be glad to have an in-depth chat about him about Ohio State and about mentality of players from Ohio. Just, you know, ask him, absolutely ask him to come on the podcast. Because he was an underclassman for Gannon, but... He's in. He declared for the draft. Some are saying he's a senior, but he's a junior redshirt. It really doesn't matter. I think he's going to be a player to keep an eye on because I want to see what Corey Curtis does. I want to see what Holt Naylor's does. I think both of those guys can sneak into round five. Maybe a team takes a chance on them with a good workout. Good workout can get Holt Naylor's or Corey Curtis. And I'm not saying Malik Cunningham can't bounce back, but... He was underthrowing and overthrowing passes at the Senior Bowl, and Holt Naylor's outplayed him in the in the NFL PA Bowl. And Holt Naylor's isn't even on the combine list. MVP of two Senior All Star games, Hula Bowl and NFL PA Bowl are All Star games. They're not as popular as the Senior Bowl, not as popular as the Shrine Game, but they still count. Damn it! And to be MVP of two of those All Star games, that that should matter to teams. That should matter. Yeah, it, it should definitely matter. And it, it's getting swept it, under the rug because he didn't go to one of the popular bowl games. That's well, that's well, the problem with the media here. Well, I don't care about the media. As general managers and scouts, they should take notes. Because that shit don't happen all. 
And the fact that I'm, the fact that Joey and I are calling the media out on this shit says a lot. The fact that we're, we're, we of all people have to resort to this. I don't enjoy resorting to this, but I know you take great pride in it. Yeah, I'm, I may be part of the media, but I am going to be the first one to see if I can work. I may be retail. I may be a small coach. Brock Purdy was at the Shrine game last year, but he got a combine invite. I will call any manager in retail. I will call any coach, and I will call any member of the media. If it's scale, if they fuck up, and that's one of the big if, things about me. Yeah, if you I take Will Levis in the top five, but you deny Holt Nailers, who was MVP of two All-Star games, a combine invite, that is a fuck-up in my book. Yeah, I, I, I will not take any We're live. Go ahead. You say we're live? Yeah, I said we're live because I thought you wanted two minutes to wrap something yeah, up. It, it's like I, I said two minutes and then we just It doesn't up. matter. We can uh, yeah, you can make the recording way, a rant as way. long as you want, okay, Joey? You can make the recording. Yeah. Either way, the entire situation there is the senior goal is deep, but it doesn't have the star power. We are looking at a class that is incredibly strong, but if you're looking for power, if you're looking for the best of the best, probably not going to get it. I think there are a lot of gems, but they're not necessarily just the guys at the Senior Bowl. They're guys at the Shrine Game, guys at the Hula Bowl, like uh, Holt Nailers, guys like Carlton Marital. That's where the gems are. You can't just look at the underclassmen and the Senior Bowl and Shrine Game guys and filter everything else out like most draft media does. You have to look at the gems this year, because there's a few of them. There's quite a few of them that stand out in a significant way. There, there are, but at the same time, within the gyms, you're going to have to look hard, hard to find what else is going on. Because there are going to be some really good players, but they're not going to be because that we are used to seeing. When I was watching the Appalachian State and Troy game, because that was a game that College Game Day went to, when I was watching that game, the offensive lines for both teams really stood out to me. So Appalachian State, Troy, if you're an NFL scout looking for offensive linemen, go back and watch the game film on those two teams. 
I had a Cal PA left tackle tell me, send me a film cut information. We did a film cut of him. Um, there's offensive linemen in the later rounds of this draft where you'd least expect it. There's talent in this draft at offensive tackle. Shepard's Joey Fisher, another guy who got snubbed of a combine invite. I've heard he outperformed his quarterback, Tyson Badgett, who was a senior bowl and combine invite from multiple people that I'm friends with on Twitter that cover the NFL draft for a living. So, I have seen him and not his quarterback. That says something. And why is he not in the combine at that point? I don't know. Uh, that is uh, something to ask the people of the combine uh, committee and I hope somebody does. That doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not trying to knock the combine. It's just there were less misses this year than usual, but there were still misses and I'm kind of some of the misses were blatantly obviously bad calls, in my opinion, and I just want to address that. You know? Like, yeah, and I, I agree. I like agree. Carlton Merrill, he broke Luke Keekley's record for total tackles. He was at the Senior Bowl, but he should be at the Combine, too. Holt Nailers, MVP of two senior All-Star games, he should be at the Combine, and Joey Fisher outplayed... Um, Joey Fisher outplayed the quarterback Tyson Badgen at left tackle for Shepard, a Division II school, and Joey Fisher was at the Senior Bowl as a late ad, but not at the Combine. And one more one more guy who got snubbed of a Combine invite was Jerome Carvin, the Tennessee guard who lined up at center at the Shrine game. I felt like Carvin should have been at the Combine because he sounded, him and Carter Warren of Pitt, who did get a Combine invite, sounded the most confident. Of the seven offensive linemen I interviewed, Carvin and Warren were the two most confident. I could tell by the way they talked, the carried themselves, the demeanor. Those two sounded the most confident when speaking with them. And I'm not going to name the other guys because I don't want to hurt their feelings. They did a great job interviewing with Draft Utopia. I, I will hurt this feelings because the more confident you sound, sir, the better you're probably going to be in the, in the pros. Even if you're not as good in the pros, the more confident you sound, the better you're probably going to interview in the pros. For the combine, the senior bowl, whatever you're interviewing for. If you're in a professional football job, the more confident you sound, the better you're going to end up. And that's the thing. There were, I felt there were a few guys that didn't get on the list. But it's going to be a fun combine week these next four days. It's really going to reveal a lot, and I'll be live. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to go live on TalkShoot for Thursday and Friday yet. We will be live on Saturday, though. Joey and I will be live. We will be live on Anchor as well as TalkShoot on Saturday. Um, I do have two chargers. I have a charger where everything charges super fast that my brother gave me, and I have a charger I bought a few months ago. So I might have to use both chargers for the iPad and the phone during the combine. I've never used both chargers at the same time, but 
it's something I'm actually considering for Saturday with all the coverage we're going to have for the combine on Saturday because we'll have some weigh-ins. We'll, um, I'm thinking, should we start at 10 a.m. or should we start at 11 a.m.? Because with all the weigh-ins and all the stuff we're going to have, we're going to have weigh-ins, bench press reps. We're going to recap the first and second days of the combine before one. I'm not sure if we should start our normal time or if we start at 11 because there's a lot to cover. We can start the uh, 10 or 11, I think, uh, even if we do it as the waves are happening, it's not going to affect us too much because we'll be able to keep up with it. Yeah, I might have to type some code in the background, but Joey can just talk and do whatever while I get that information. You know? So, yeah, I mean, is there anything you want to add before we sign off for, um, I'm thinking Saturday at 11 because we can, we can, if, uh, if the weigh-ins come in at 9 or 10 a.m., it depends. I think I'll make a decision on that tomorrow, and I'll let you know on Friday, depending on when the first weigh-in is posted, because that's going to give me a better indicator. Right now, I'm leaning towards 11 a.m., but... I'll have a final decision on Friday, and, you know, I'm going to try to set something up on TalkShoe, but I've got to finish the running back rankings first. Anything else you want to add before we sign off and get ready for the combine, Joey? What words of encouragement would you give the participants in this year's combine as our sign-off message? Keep doing what you're doing and work your ass off because it's not going to turn out well. Finish the process. I like that. Trust your instincts, trust yourself, have confidence in yourself, and finish the process. That was Joseph Potter. I'm Chris Ransom. This is Draft Utopia's Combine Preview episode. We're signing off from the Utopia of Sports, getting ready for the Combine. So we'll see you guys on Saturday.